You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You know, when you think about it, this was not a tough season for the Oklahoma City Thunder. It was actually a really good season. They made it to the playoffs, and they got by Memphis, I think, what, in the first round, or Houston in the first round. And uh, I think that we don't feel as great about the Thunder this year because they just didn't fare as well. But we lost a crucial player. Sorry, whatever I did. We lost a crucial player, and that made it that made it harder. But actually, it was a good season. We're used to winning seasons here, right? We're used to that. You understand that when the 2013-14 season gets underway, and the Thunder hit the road, and they go to towns like Memphis or Houston or San Antonio, the owners of those organizations and the coaches of those teams are very aware of who the superstars are. So they know who Kevin Durant is. They're strategically planning. They're asking themselves questions like, so what do you do with Durant when you get to the last 10 minutes of the game and he's just on fire and it seems like it's impossible to shut him down? Because they know who the opponent is. They're very aware of who the opponent is. So let me, let me ask you this morning, when you think about your own life and your journey with God, and the Bible says that you have an opponent, the Bible says you have an enemy, and he gives you the name of the enemy, he says your enemy is the devil. Does he know who you are? Are you putting enough points on the board for the home team that the enemy says, we have got to strategize against this guy. This is the guy to watch. We have got to put together a defensive strategy to come against the offense of what God is doing through him or her. Do you think the opponent, the enemy, the competition, do you think... He knows who you are. Are you a factor in this competition? Well, I would love for you to grab a Bible and open it to the book of Acts. If you're new to carrying a Bible, don't hesitate to pick one up. I'll help you find it, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are how the New Testament start. They are the four stories telling the gospel, the good news, the life of Jesus. And the very next book... The fifth book is Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 19. Okay, Acts chapter 19. What what, what has happened in these last few weeks is we've been in a series where we've been talking about salt and light. And we have said openly that we want to make a difference in our world. It may be that the only way people taste the goodness of God is going to be through our lives. It may be that the only way people are going to taste... The holiness of God, the love of God is by hanging around people like us. We want to be salt, okay? We want to be light. We want to be shining on Jesus all the time. We want to be pointing people toward Jesus. So what happens when you get to the book of, the, uh, book of Acts, it is really a story of the history of the church of Jesus Christ. It's the story of the birth of the church and the growth of the church. And what's happening when we get to chapter 19 is extraordinary things are taking place. What what do you mean, Rick, by extraordinary things? I mean something like this. It says that Paul was doing extraordinary miracles. Like, give me an example. Okay, he would touch a handkerchief, 
they would take the handkerchief to a sick person and the sick person would touch the handkerchief and they were getting well. That's what chapters uh, 19, rather, verses 11 and 12 say. Those kinds of extraordinary... And so that's the atmosphere of the church right now. So in that atmosphere, let me take you to verse 13, okay? And we'll read these words to you. I'll put them on the screen. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So these are Jewish people, and they were trying to cast out evil spirits, and I'll talk to you in a minute about evil spirits in that world. And so they were doing it by invoking the name of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And here's what they would say. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you, come out! So that kind of thing right there was happening in the New Testament. That's what was going on. Okay, so here's what happened. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. There's this well-known chief priest. His name is Sceva. He has seven sons, and they are Jewish exorcists. They're trying to cast out demons, okay? They were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And I know about Paul. So this is an evil spirit screaking, talking to them. Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but I've never heard of you. Who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So that is one bad dude. Not only am I going to beat you up, but I'm going to take your clothes off of you and send you out of the house. Just a bad thing to do to somebody. I uh, had two girls, of course, Brittany and Morgan, and and they both played soccer. And, And that's really the only sport they played, but we played it all of their lives from when they were kindergarten. And I always had the opportunity of coaching them in soccer, especially early on when they were playing rec soccer. When we got to high school, of course, I wasn't coaching them any longer. But I loved, I loved coaching soccer. Brittany played high school soccer. Morgan quit playing soccer her junior year and became a manager for the varsity boys soccer team. I think I figured that one out. But anyway, <laughs> we would go to games, and I remember just kind of feeling this competitive spirit. Even though it was little girls and rec soccer, I, I needed to win in order to feel you know good about life. And I remember one day this lady says to me, Rick... Uh, a mother, she goes, today we had three girls cry. It's rec soccer. It's about having fun. Are, are we together on this? You know, and just being kind of the typical dad, I'm just thinking, you know, it's more fun if you're winning, right? And so it was always about winning for me. I want to win. And so I would go to these little, now you got to imagine these are rec soccer, these little girls, you know, up to the time they were junior high, but, but I'm watching the other team warm up. I'm not watching my girls. I've seen my girls warm up before, but I want to know who's a factor on the other team. And so I'm looking for the kid with a good foot. I'm looking for a girl who's got a lot of hustle in her and I'm coming back and I'm saying, okay, we're going to switch around. You're going to defend number 11 because she's the girl we got to watch. She's a factor in this game. So do you think that in the spiritual world, The enemy ever says that about you. This is the gal you got to watch. She's a factor. 
This is the guy we got to defend against. He's a major player. See, I wonder, I wonder if anybody's just kind of look at me thinking to yourself, Rick, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't know that the enemy knows my name. I don't know that I'm putting enough points on the board for the home team that the enemy is even aware of who I am. I don't know that the opponent is working on some kind of strategy in regard to defense about what God is doing through me offensively. I don't know that I'm a factor. See, I think the greatest, 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 greatest indictment against a follower of Jesus Christ would be for the enemy to say, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? You, You're on that team, really? You play? You're in the game? Seriously. You've never been an obstacle for us. You've never made it a challenge for us. So let me, let me talk with you for a few minutes about this passage, okay? I, I don't want to mislead you in any way or misrepresent the Scripture because I think it's crucial that I point out that these men are not Christian men. These are not Christ followers. These are Jewish exorcists. These are not people who we have any indication at any point who have decided to align themselves with the teachings of Christ or to follow Jesus in any way. These are Jewish exorcists. And here's what happens. They begin to realize that extraordinary things are happening, according to verse 11, because of Paul's ministry. Extraordinary miracles are taking place. And he is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And so they decide to try their hand at Paul's game. If Paul is doing it in Jesus' name and it's working for him, then maybe we should try to cast out some demons in Jesus' name. That's what happens here. But as a Christ follower, it is impossible for me to read those words and not ask myself, do you think the enemy has ever said that about me? In the spiritual world, does the enemy ever say, Jesus I know, and the apostle Paul I know, but I've never heard of Rick Harvey. He's not a factor in this game. I don't know how you read that passage without asking that question as a follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have a friend whose name is Flavio Valvasora. And I don't really have anything to say about him. I just wanted to say his name because I like saying it. (laughs) Actually, Flavio Valvasora is from Campinas, Brazil. His father pastors a very large Nazarene church there. And Flavio is a co-pastor of that church. And so we, we served on boards together for a few years. And every time I would go to the certain board meeting, Flavio and I would eat lunch together and dinner together and we'd hang out together and just weren't meetings. We just kind of spent time together. Great great guy, a lot of fun to be around. And so when Flavio was in the country uh, for meetings or something with the general church, people will ask him to stay over and speak at his church. And so I'll always say, so where are you going when you leave here? And he tells me where he's going to speak. And so one day I said to him, Flavio, 
when, when you think about being in the church in Brazil and you think about being in the church in the U.S., what, what are some main differences about what you see here and what you experience there? And he said, well, first of all, our, our church services are very different. He said, you know, in the States, you guys go to church and you're pretty much an hour and out. You know, that's, you do it in one hour. And then you're just, you're out the door. It's, he said, in, in Brazil, we, we may say church starts at 10 but at 10 o'clock, we start doing like ministry around the altar, praying for people. And we may do that for an hour. So all of our pastors are in the room and people are coming in and they're coming down and we're praying over people, praying for people. He said that may last an hour before, before we even begin to sing any music or begin to worship or anything like that. And he said we begin to worship and then after we've worshiped for a while, there may be a sermon before the sermon. But everybody's okay with that. So somebody may kind of preach a sermon and then we do some more worship and then we have the sermon. He said, so when you go to church in Campinas at our church, he said, you may be there for a few hours. Nobody really cares. Nobody's in a hurry. It's not like that. I said, okay, so that's, that's what your services look like. He says, yeah, except for Friday nights. I said, what does it look like on Friday nights? He said, well, on Friday nights, we cast out the evil spirits. I said, really? He said, yeah, it's part of our culture. A lot of witch doctors, a lot of voodoo, a lot of stuff in our culture. So we have to deal with that in in the church. He says, so on occasion we have these American pastors who come over to see our church. And we take them to Friday night. But in advance, we don't tell them about the evil spirit stuff. We just watch them keep moving further and further back in the room until they're standing up against the walls. That's, that's a lot like the, the world that Paul was living in. The world that Paul preached and taught and shared Jesus in was a world that was very concerned about evil spirits. And evil spirits caused everything. They caused sickness. They, they, they caused a person to be, to be crazy. Everything was blamed on the spirits. And they believed the spirits were everywhere. They were, they were in the sky, so they were in the stars, the moon. They, they, they were in the water. They were scared to death of the water. They, they were in the earth. And you were always worried about offending the spirits. The spirit world was a world that would mess you up. And so you hear a little bit of language in our world that feels to me like a spillover from other cultures and maybe even that culture, but, but like the word lunatic that we have in our, in our English language. You, you can hear the word moon in it, right? Luna, lunar. Lunatic would, would literally mean moonstruck. And so a person who lost their mind was a person who is struck by the moon. I think that's where that, that reasoning comes from. It was the, the spirits in the moon. Well, we don't believe that. But, but some language in our English language kind of spill over. And so the Apostle Paul, he says about the spirit world that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you remember how he qualifies it? He says every knee in heaven and where else? On earth and where else? Under the earth. He's talking about the spirits within the earth. This is their world. And you hear it all through Paul's language. This battle that we, not, we fight is not against flesh and blood. 
But it's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of where? This dark world. He's talking about this dark spiritual world. Everybody was concerned. Everybody is aware of the spirits. And so you've got these seven sons of Sceva. They are trying to cast out evil spirits. And they see that Paul is being very successful in casting out spirits in the name of Jesus. And so they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, be gone. And that's when they lose their shorts. That's when all that happens. They get beat up and sent out of the house, naked and bleeding. I know it's Father's Day, and it's hard for me not to take an opportunity once in a while on Father's Day to chat just a little bit. It seems to me that when we have Mother's Day, as preachers, we tend to say, aren't we thankful for our mothers, and aren't mothers wonderful people? But but when Father's Day comes... It's like it's an opportunity to kind of rough up the dads. You should be doing better as a spiritual leader. You know what I mean? I'm just preparing you because I'm fixing to go there. That's what's happening. <laughs> I, I really am just, just trying to say that, that in this whole salt and light conversation, being a factor, being somebody who's putting the points on the board for the home team, it, it, it starts right there at home, right? It's, it's being salt and light. It, it's making a difference in the lives of our kids and our spouses. It's our kids growing up saying, I tasted Jesus' love because I saw it in my daddy's life. I tasted the love and goodness of God because I, I saw it lived out in my father. It was my father who pointed me to Jesus. He was salt and light in my life. And it's a matter of being a factor. The enemy knows who I am as a dad because I'm a factor in the game. My kids are becoming godly kids. That, that's what we, our, our, our goal is. That's what it's about. That's what we seek for. That's what we, we want to achieve. That's what we try to do. I sat with a group of men around my table in my office just this past Wednesday night and we were talking about how can we help men in our church to have a deep, deep love for God and fear for God. And how can we help the men of our church come to a place in their lives of having a deep commitment to the study of the Word of God? And how can we come to the place in our church of helping men understand their role of father and husband and spiritual leader? And somewhere in the midst of all of that conversation, I felt the presence of God. And I'm always thinking about my sermon on Sunday. And I remember just thinking to myself and later praying in a prayer. I believe the enemy is aware that we're meeting at the table. And I believe he's anxious right now. I believe the Holy Spirit is leading us. And I think we're becoming a factor in the game. That's, that's what we want to be, right? So does the enemy know who you are? Let me, let me talk about it from two perspectives, okay? And so just, just let me think with you for a minute, just individually, and then we're going to talk about it corporately, and then we'll be done. Here, here's, here's how I want to talk to you. I was, I was raised in this great Christian home. Mom and dad loved the Lord deeply. My dad was saved by the time I was four. My mom was a Christian prior to that, and so I only knew good, godly Christian parents. They were salt and light in my life. I tasted 
the holiness of God by watching my parents live. They pointed me to Christ. They were salt and light in my life. There was, there was another lady in my life. Her name was Alice. Uh, she was living in our community, and honestly, she didn't have many people in her life. And for whatever reason, she kind of chose me. And when I was born, she said that I was the most beautiful baby she'd ever seen in her life. And she was a very honest person. I think if she said it, it was probably, you know, true stuff. She became like a grandmother to me, only closer than most grandmothers. So I had my two grandmothers, but then there was this lady named Alice. And she always wanted to buy things for me, like clothing, those kinds of things, or whatever I wanted. But, but it wasn't a real healthy friendship, honestly. She was a little twisted in her thinking. And my parents always struggled with the value and the, and the cost of this relationship. But, but she told me always, as I was growing up, and she was in my life until I was 15, she always told me, you're going to be a preacher someday. And so, one day she says, you're, you're going to be a preacher. I know it. When you were a, when you were a little, little baby and you were just crawling, I put a Bible in front of you and a bottle in front of you. And you crawled toward the Bible. That means you're going to be a preacher. I said, what if I would have crawled toward the bottle? She says, drunk, alcoholic, something like that. that would she was a little messed up in her thinking, okay? You're following me, right? If you do that with your kids, and I recommend you don't, could you give them more options? I think that's a little drastic on the extremes there. So when she was, when I was 15, she died. And, and we buried her and we buried the idea that I would ever become a preacher. I was so glad that that was out of my life. You say you never thought about it for all those years. The only time I thought about it, it was positive thoughts. That's gone. I don't have to do that now. But when I was 19 at my home church on a Sunday night, I walked down the aisle and I surrendered my life to follow Jesus forever. And I love to tell people, I knew that night I would never have to make that decision again. I was so done. And I wanted to do anything that God wanted me to do. And immediately, and I've always struggled to know, did Alice plant this seed in my life? Obviously had something. But immediately I began to feel this call from God to preach. But I did not resist it. I didn't run from it. I embraced it. Because I wanted to do whatever it was that God wanted. I don't care what he would have asked me to have done. I would have done it. Because the power of God changed my life. The way that I thought. The way that I wanted to live and function. I'm telling you. God changed my life. Now that's my story. You have one too. And so practically speaking, as individuals, we want to be salt and light, right? And a guy like Paul was doing extraordinary miracles, and God was using him in powerful ways. And he was living this life that was honorable, no doubt. But let me tell you, there were times when he opened his mouth and he told this story. Acts 22 is one of those occasions. People say, Rick, I want to be salt and light. I, I don't know how to say it. I'm not a preacher. Just, can I just offer you a suggestion? This is just me talking to you as a friend. You ever considered just telling your story? It's really simple. You have one. 
You may not know about this or that or this or that, but I can tell you what Jesus did for me. And so sometimes we are salt. It's who we are. But as we live our lives, what we do flows out of who we are. And there are opportunities that God gives us. And He wants us to open our mouth and to speak. And one of the best ways that I know is not some slick three-point plan with memorized scripture. Sometimes it's just a matter of authentically looking a friend in the eye and saying, This is my story. This is what happened to me. Just tell your story. So let's think about salt and light as a community of believers. You know, we're, we're, in, we're in a wonderful community of Bethany, Oklahoma. And, and all around us, like everywhere else, people need Jesus. And so back a while ago, Kevin Rogers, who's the director of Rock, Reaching Our City, an urban ministries center, where there is a food pantry, people receive food, there's medical care, there's dental care, there's, there's lawyers who volunteer their time. It is a compassionate ministry center and it is also a church. And so they wanted to talk to me, he and Dr. Hal Cawthorn, the president of the board, would Bethany First Church consider helping us start maybe a second rock in the Lyrewood community. We have a pantry that's only open one day a week and we're giving food out up here on Lyrewood, just north of the church. Do you think maybe the church could put a staff pastor there that maybe we could have the beginnings of a congregation? Can we be, you know, what they were saying was salt and light in this community. And so I began to pray about it, but I, I met with them again and I said, I don't really have an answer for you. I'm praying and I know that God's going to lead us. He doesn't leave us to wonder what his will is. We'll understand it, but today I don't have an answer. At the same time, I was having breakfast often with a guy whose name is Thaddeus Black. Thaddeus has a story, a wonderful story. He was raised by a praying mother, he told us in a video a few months ago on a Sunday morning. But it was actually in prison that Thaddeus turns to Jesus Christ. And Thaddeus began to talk to me about a call to ministry on his heart. And so I invited Thaddeus to come and sit before our church board who has the authority to give a local preacher's license. So Thaddeus, would you stand up and make your way over here, please? And so after sitting with Thaddeus in that board meeting and hearing his story again and hearing Thaddeus talk about what he believed God was asking him to do with his life, we prayed together and as a church board, we made a firm decision that we wanted to take action as a church. And so Thaddeus Black, it's my honor this morning to hand to you a local preacher's license in the Church of the Nazarene. God bless you, brother. It's good to do it twice. So I said to Thaddeus, I'm praying about something. And our board is praying about something. Do you think, Thaddeus, there would be any way that God would lead you to Lyrewood, to that pantry, to begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people? We don't want to just give food away. We've got something much better than food to give people. 
And, and the rocks philosophy is so dead set on this has to be a church. This is not just a, a place to get food. This is a church. And so Thaddeus began a few weeks ago on Wednesdays at the pantry. And we don't know what it's going to grow into. But on Wednesday night at 5 o'clock, Thaddeus sat in a room with a group of people. And he opened his Bible and he shared God's word with people from that, com- shared God's word with people from that community. Isn't that great? That's great. So, anyway, we want you to pray for Thaddeus. And Laureen and uh, Christanne, would you guys come and kneel here with Thaddeus at the altar? And we're going to pray for you guys today. Um, I, I don't know how many of their Sunday school classes in the room, but if you're in their Sunday school class, would you guys also stand and come and kneel around them? I was at the pantry the other day, and Christanne had been there all day with Thaddeus, and I told Christanne, all you have to do is just smile, Christanne. And uh, you don't even have to work while you're there. You just brighten everybody's day by smiling. Laureen, we're so proud for you guys. Would you kneel here? And then your Sunday school class, those of them who are in this service are coming around to kneel around you, and they're going to join you in prayer. And there's going to be a lot of support that's going to be needed, and probably some construction, right, Thaddeus, in the next few weeks. We are partnering with the Oklahoma District Church of the Nazarene and Doug Forsberg and The Rock and now Bethany First Church. And you know what? When I look to the future, here's what I see. I see a congregation of people with a pastor whose name is Thaddeus. That's what I see. And that's the hope and the faith that I have. So if you want to stand with us for prayer, I want you to know the altar is open for everybody to come who wants to come and gather around them. It may not be, though, that it's about Thaddeus right now for you. It may be that it's about where you are. So where does God have you? And where does God want you to be salt and light? You see, Thaddeus is just being obedient to where God is calling him now. But where's God calling you? Or where has God strategically placed you to be a factor in this battle? And so anyone who wants to come may come. Pastor Chris is over here and Pastor Mikkel is here. And if you want to be anointed for physical healing this morning, they would be glad to put a drop of oil on your head and pray for you. I love standing up on Sunday mornings and just saying, do you know if you wanted to accept Jesus this morning, you could become a Christ follower today. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Save my soul. I will live my life to honor you and follow you. So Pastor Mikkel is here and Pastor Chris is here and they would love to lead you in that prayer. If you want to come and pray as a family, you're welcome. But let's, let's pray for Thaddeus as well today. Father, thank you, Lord, for this good day. Thank you for this good man. Thank you, Lord, for making him good. It is your righteousness in him that makes him adequate for the task that you've called him to. He has answered your call to ministry, Lord, and he has a journey in front of him. And already he is accepting, Lord, your challenge to be a part of this ministry at the Rock on Lyrewood. And we pray that you will bless him. And as we prayed earlier, Lord, whether Thaddeus is, is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from his mouth or whether he is handing food to somebody with his hands. We pray that people will be fed the good news and that they will see Jesus and that Thaddeus and Bethany First Church and this Sunday school class will be salt and light in that community. I pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Oh, that's great, Daddy. Yes. <laughs> Feel free to linger and pray as long as you like. Um, God bless you. Have a great Father's Day. You're dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.